In this episode, I get to speak with Kelsey from the Arcane Library, so stay tuned. With me today, I have a very, very special friend and guest. Kelsey, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Brian? I can't complain. We were talking a little bit offline um, about some, you know, about some production stuff and talking about, you know, publication stuff. But for the folks in the audience who are listening to this now, Kelsey, can you introduce yourself and talk to me about all the awesome publications that you've come up with? I mean, seriously, folks, like the DMs Guild is littered with really great adventures that I've taken a look at. I've seen because I may or may not have convinced some of my party members to purchase and to kind of support and do all this because I'm like, okay, like I want to like I want to see what the secret sauce is to writing because as folks know, like I'm writing Terracona and I'm like, geez, like, okay, like how, how do I even start? I've never written an adventure before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can you can find Kelsey at um, Arcane Library on Instagram. And it's just like you've produced how many things on DMs Guild and just in public Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I think I had to count actually recently, but I think I have um, 11 published works right now. And there are certainly some that I have not published yet, but that are done. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. That That is awesome. So like so just take me through your so take me through kind of like high level. How do you even start writing a module or an adventure? Yeah. So this is really interesting. I feel like there's a really important beginning phase for for me and I think for other creators where um, you sort of have a glimmer of an idea and it might be like a cool image or like a theme that you want like I want to make like a a, like a ghostly western or something and Mm -hmm. um, you have to stew on it for a little while okay and I think for me like a big part of the process is collecting um, inspirations and and things that excite me and ideas and then letting them kind of bake around for you know anywhere from like a week to a month um and then and then creativity starts to happen like subconsciously like you Mm -hmm. start to have some of these ideas come together you start to see it a little bit more clearly in your mind um and once I'm at that point like where I sort of have an overall vision for an adventure or I can kind of see the problem that's when I know that I start kind of workshopping it like I want to start actually trying to pull those ideas out and make them concrete and so um once the stewing phase is over it gets into the like the designing and developing phase which is more like forced Mm -hmm. creativity I guess you could call it (laughs) yeah it's a little forced I mean I mean you know if you have deadlines right that's Mm -hmm. something that you have to consider and for a you know professional like yourself who is really writing um material I mean if, if and again, folks, I define professionalism as one, the work that you put into it, right? You may not be getting paid from it or from something, um, but if you put the amount of professional work that you believe is, you know, equal to that, it's professional. But second, like you're getting, and I'm assuming this, you're getting paid through the DMs Guild, through other networks or society or whatever um, channels, let's say. So you have deadlines that you put impose on yourself or, or or wherever, you know, how do you continue to have that kind of forced creativity even with those imposed deadlines? Is it harder to create or do you find it that you create more because it's like, oh, I got to do this? 
Yeah, that's so interesting that you mentioned that because I just, the last adventure I published was under a really strict deadline and I, um, it was sort of self-imposed because I wanted to get this adventure out in time for an event that was happening on the DMs Guild. There was like a promotional mm-hmm. thing going on and I was like, oh, it would be so cool to be a part of that. Um, and it's it's so funny because I actually spent three years writing that adventure. It is by far oh, wow. the longest amount of time I took on one, like by far. And wow. when the deadline came down, I had three days to finish it. No and I did it. Kidding. Yeah. That's awesome. Which is amazing. It's like to me that speaks to the power of, of at least for me the psychological power of a deadline because yes. um I think that it, there's and even even somebody who I I publish adventures as my job if I just kind of let myself take my time I almost won't I almost won't move with purpose and I feel like mm-hmm. moving with purpose is what it takes to get an adventure done. Mm-hmm. So Creativity is fun and it's sort of, it can appear or not sort of on a whim sometimes, but um, there's such an important element of like making yourself do the work and you just can't get around that. And the deadline is for me what makes that happen. Yeah, it's almost like the, a little bit of pressure in the, in the pressure cooker that that's what makes everything work, right? <laughs> you know, that, that's when you stoke the fires a little bit, it gets things going. So you say, okay, you've produced 11, you know, published rather, 11 um, adventures. And I've, of course, you got some in the works. I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you worked with a mutual friend of ours uh, from the Pickle Dragon um, yes. to, to yeah. create. Could you talk a little bit about that and talk about what that p- product was for the audience? Yeah, so Matt Rauscher and I, um, last year, we wrote a monster book together called The Monstrous Lexicon. Um, and it was it was so fun, and it was really interesting to work with Matt because he's, um, he's kind of like a great project manager. Like, he's very organized, and he's mm-hmm. so patient and honestly super flexible because if there was someone who occasionally had troubles hitting deadlines during this project, it was totally me. Um, <laughs> But he was, he was like, just so good at kind of guiding the project forward. Um, Mm -hmm. And we each, we each designed about, he designed a little more than half of the monsters and I designed a little under half of them. Um, Yeah, (laughs) mostly because of deadline problems. I was like, Matt, can you do this one? And he was like, I got it. So um, Matt's such a nice guy from what I've interacted with um, mm -hmm. online. I I don't, I haven't, I I haven't met him in person. I mean, we haven't really met in person either. But I feel like we've all known each other just from, you know, social media. Matt seems like a great guy. And when I saw the Monstrous Lexicon, which it's on Amazon, correct? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So you can, so for folks out there, you can type up Monstrous Lexicon on Amazon and you can find it. It's, I look, I I saw through it with what, you know, uh, Dan, the Inked Mage, another mutual friend of ours, was kind of going through it and looking at it. And and I saw some of the creations out there and I'm like, dang, like, I never thought about this, right? You know, I never thought about this monster because it just, in my head, the monster manual is kind of the the go-to, right? Unless you have something that you want to change or you get from another adventure, right? Or another book or guide, whatever you want to call it. You Mm -hmm. you just, I just really take from there. So seeing this like new homebrew, which now has become official, it's pretty cool, right? You know, it's pretty cool to see that. So, you know, you were talking about deadlines and whatnot and, and kind of having this huge collaboration. 
what was one of the things that you really enjoyed from creating something like the Monstrous Lexicon or some one, some of your other projects? Yeah, well, I think so from the Monstrous Lexicon, I think one thing that Matt and I both really enjoyed that, that might be more subtle is that um, we decided to do it a bit like a guidebook, like um, with with uh, protagonists, like two yeah. characters who were sort of talking their way through the monsters because that was Matt and I both enjoyed so much of the Volo's Guide approach that we say, wanted to do yeah, something. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, exactly. And it was so fun. And so we, we each kind of created characters that were sort of um, like semi-obvious like versions of ourselves as the characters. For um, sure. Why not? Yeah, it was, it was fun. Yeah, it was in like writing the dialogue for those characters and like the backstory mm-hmm. with them and how they each have some things to say about I think almost all the monsters in the book was actually, I think, so much fun because um, Matt and I were laughing till we were crying with some of the stuff we were saying. That's it was, like, awesome. hysterical to make these, like, little back-and-forth conversations between the two. So That's that was great. That's so cool, though. Like, I love that chemistry. and I love, you know, you can see that on paper, right? You can see that type of chemistry when you're on, when you're reading it, when you're interacting with it. Um so, like, with the Monstrous Lexicon, what, what do you think was the most challenging part of writing something like that or collaborating with someone? Yes. Yeah, so I think some, some of the challenges were, I know we were splitting the monsters up, and it, it, it ended up that the vision for the monsters, like, first we pitched, like, a ton of monsters to each other, um, and then we kept ones that, like, a subset of those that we liked, and then we split them up between each other but like Mm -hmm. in some cases Matt was designing a monster that I kind of concepted and then vice versa um and I think the most challenging part of that was trying to respect like Matt's idea for a monster that I was designing for example um because I wanted it to live up to the vision that he had for it but Mm -hmm. still you know design it in a way that I thought would be compelling as well and so it I I think like I I personally think Matt did a fantastic job with his side and I hope I did too um, but it was fun and challenging to try to live up to another very creative person's imaginings, you know? Well, well, Matt's an old school gamer, you know, mm-hmm. and I consider him an old school gamer like the folks at Nerdarchy, uh, Matt Colville, you know, old school gamer. I mean, Matt Mercer as well. Um, but when I but just for me, got uh, people like Jim Murphy, you know, a lot of the old school gamers who came up in that you know, round of, like, they're just a wealth of knowledge, I I see that, and I'm like, okay, someone like Matt, at least for me, and Matt, I love you, brother, you're awesome, but I would be intimidated, because (laughs) I'm over here coming into it from a kind of hodgepodge of gaming experience, you know, growing up, and the audience knows this, like, I am, am the son of refugees, immigrants, you know, from Cuba, so, when growing up with D&D was kind of taboo. Um, we mm-hmm. really didn't, I didn't play it as much. I knew about it. I played it in secret rather, I should say. Sorry, mom, if you're listening, oh, but, no. <laughs> like, you know, you know, it, it was like, sh- you know, they didn't know. They heard like, Oh, satanic panic, satanic panic. Like, Oh, yeah. cool. Like, and this is not great. So they definitely were like, yeah, Brian, you're probably not going to play this. Um, even though they didn't know that I was secretly playing it and I kind of had to like come up with my own rules because I didn't know it. I just just had the, you know, the screen and minis and have at it. Right. Mm-hmm. 
and then grew, you know, in the 3.5 era, really kind of mm-hmm. came out of my shell and said, hey, like, I'm playing this and I enjoy it. Um, so playing with someone like Matt, doing something like, you know, like that with Matt, like for me, at least, like I can understand that where you're and it's not coming from into, maybe obviously I'm not saying it's coming from intimidation on your side. I think it's like as a production, right, as a creator, mm-hmm. you're like, OK, how can I pay homage to my partner and you know in this product but be 100 percent me like yes. i find it difficult so like you know i'm i'm kind of like i'm always trying to peer from others like how did you do it <laughs> like right. how what what do you do from there like is it a like how like what do you recommend for people who are collaborating together right like what are your thoughts on that yeah i i i think it's absolutely its own skill collaborating with other people um and it's one that takes practice and and i think that when i mean matt is such a people person that i think he's very natural at it too and so um he he brings this very collaborative like open-minded supportiveness Mm -hmm. and and i think that's what you want to try to bring to the table where it's i mean it's almost like if you're playing DD, where if somebody comes up with an idea that you can see they're so excited about and that sounds cool you just gotta be like yeah that's cool let's do it you know like you try to let um the spirit of what's exciting kind of guide you rather than clinging to needing to like you don't want to there's never you're never trying to prove something you're trying to honor something when you're collaborating i like that you're never trying to prove something you're trying to on i love that i honestly do because that is i i get so dang tired of saying it's a collaborative storytelling game it's true but a lot of people say, well, why is it? You know, I get a lot of like the philosophical, I don't know why I get asked with all the philosophical questions, folks. Y'all got to <laughs> send Kelsey a message and ask her too. Um, because, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm not trying to send, I mean, y'all can ask any of us, but it's true though. Like, you know, you have to honor your players. You have to bring honor to those people because they're playing with you. They're telling us, they're giving, I mean, if you think about it, they're giving a lot of themselves at the table to you yes like and you know one thing i thought about that's kind of like and and then again i would only assume this because i'm writing you know project terracona for right now name will have to be changed later fun story about that folks but that that's for another day um <laughs> you know you kind of have to give yourself totally in your publications so like how do you do that like how do you go into that place deep down and start, you know, we, we, you spoke about like, okay, ghost, ghost town Western, right. To kind of take from what you said, yeah. but how do you go down deep inside and, and, and be vulnerable, especially when you're writing? Yeah, that's, that can be tough because I think people's biggest fear, whether they're collaborating or not, is that someone's going to think that their idea is like lame or, mm. or boring. Um, and there's always that concern, you know, no matter how many times you've published, you're like, is this idea going to be lame to people? And um, I think that it really requires you to trust what you think is cool. Like, you know, if you if you're super like I'm super into like Indiana Jones and pulp type stuff. Okay. And there's a reason I can't really explain why, but I love it. And so if I'm passionate about something, if that inspires me and mm-hmm. I want to write an adventure to that trope or to, you know, using those themes, as long as I am making decisions that follow what I think is cool, then 
I can't really go wrong. Someone else is going to like it. So it's it's almost safe for you to be vulnerable or to um, mm. to let it be known what you like. Because if you genuinely like it, then someone else will too. True, yeah. Being and true that helps yourself. me. Yeah, that helps me. I'm like, you know, if I'm in, truly enthusiastic about this idea, then it's then it's got to have some merit. You know, if it's something mm-hmm. that I think is cool, someone else is going to. I like that. And, you know, so with that being said, what are your favorite parts about writing? Again, you got 11 publications. There's got to be like one specific style or one specific genre within fantasy that you that you kind of like and think to yourself, yeah, I can pump these out. I can pump out ideas, you know, all day. Like, do you have do you have that or is it kind of um, is it kind of diversified? It, you know, it's really interesting. I have no idea why this is, but I feel like I have an easier time writing horror. Um, okay. Which I never would have guessed about myself because, first of all, I'm the biggest baby. Like, I scary <laughs> movies, I'm, like, climbing up the wall. I'm, I like, hanging from that. the ceiling. I can't, <laughs> I, do, I, can't do, I can't do it. When I, like, it, you know, or whatever with Pennywise the Clown, I, oh. I'm not going to lie. I saw that. I saw the, the rendition. Like, I saw, like, the trailer. And I was like, oh, Lord, I am going to cry. And, I'm, yes. and I don't care. I'm a grown man. I'm going <laughs> to call my mom because my mom usually comforts me with, with food, typically. <laughs> if you don't know a Cuban household, y'all are always welcome to my parents' house because they'll just feed you. That's, how they, that's their love language. You know, it's just food. So <laughs> I can't do horror. But... I can see where horror is one of those things where you can do because it's scary and you know what scares you the best. Oh, yeah. I think the bigger baby you are, the better you must be at writing horror because you know exactly what's going to make you freak out. And Heck so, yeah. yeah, I don't know why. I don't because it's it's certainly not a genre that like if someone was like, hey, do you want to read a story today or something? I wouldn't <laughs> choose horror, you know, but yeah. um, but I guess it just for some reason it makes sense to me and maybe that's why Mm. I I am it's easy for me to write but um you know I wish I was good at writing like epic like pulp like oh like Eberron like I'm so Keith Baker Eberron is just to me just such Mm. a beautiful creative phenomenal setting and I'm like wow I wish I could just you know write something like that so effortlessly but you know (laughs) (laughs) No, it is so, Ebron was so well written. And, and you know, we spoke about it earlier too. You know, Wizards of the Coast, if you're listening to this, you know, we're ready for Spelljammer. Um, we're ready for Dark Sun. Just saying. Yep. I'm ready. Just saying. I mean, we, and it's, we're here. it's funny because I know there is there is material for those things that mm-hmm. you've pulled from prior editions, but um, Fifth edition is where it's at right now. Come on, we got to bring is. some Five E Dark Sun and Celljammer. It is, and actually, I'm so glad you brought that up. What do you think about Fifth Edition? Um, I don't know how long you've been playing D and D, but I'm, you know, I don't know where you, or if you play any other games besides D and D. But what do you think about Fifth Edition as a writer? What do you think? Is this a good time to enter into the writing game? Like, what's yes. your opinion on that? I do think I, I love it. I've been playing D and D since A D and D, and um, and it, I I never wrote for A D and D, but third edition was very hard to write for because it was so mechanically complex. Um, and 
to the point that I didn't really want to. I actually really didn't write anything uh, too significant for third edition. Okay. Um, in fourth That's edition, sense. I played a lot. I, I mean, I'm not trying to start an edition war. I think that fourth edition was one of the best editions for dungeon masters at the price of not being a very fun one for players. Um, in my, in my opinion, but I still pull design ideas from fourth edition quite a lot, actually. Um, however, I think fifth edition is by far the best edition to write for because it's, um, it's logical. It's not super overpowered as far as the, the scale goes when you're writing and it, it's, it's super approachable. It has the feel of like old school D&D in a way. It can have yeah. that feel if you want it to. So. It's focused on, I feel like 5th edition did a really great thing about balance. Um, they balanced mm-hmm. role play, character development, story development, storytelling with combat. They, mm-hmm. they really took it down and they said, okay, 50% this, 50% that. And obviously it's not just that. It's, it's, but if I were to sum it up, Right, you have all the mechanics and combat on one side, and then all the other good stuff on the other, and mm-hmm. they they married it nicely. Um, I do. I'm not gonna lie. Fourth edition, I, it's an internal struggle <laughs> because <laughs> from a dungeon master perspective, pretty good. Can't complain. Yeah. Player wise, you know, it's just it it was not. It was not well thought out from a player perspective. Felt it felt too much very, like a video game. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing about it is it was just so tactically intense. Like, yeah. you couldn't even just have, like, a three-round fight with some goblins. That was, no. it was not possible. And, I, and I, I mean, I, I say this to somebody. I played a character from first through 30th level in 4th edition. Like, I, I ran event. I ran campaigns. Like, I mm-hmm. definitely gave it a spin around the neighborhood, you know? So yeah. Um, I, I think that as a player, it, it was the, and you the said addition. Thirtieth, was... correct? Three zero. Yeah, yeah, because you would go okay. up to thirtieth level and yeah. Fourth I just want to make and... I want to make sure that the audience heard that correct. Thirtieth level, folks, and fourth edition was fourth edition was pretty nifty with that. Um, yeah, that's something I mi- Well, you could technically still apply. You could kind of homebrew a, a a past twentieth level, you know, campaign. But yeah. yeah, for for so for for going, you know, first through thirtieth level, you definitely had the ins and outs. And I'm, I'm I'm also assuming too that as a writer, you're looking at it and you're having that lens, correct? Yeah, like playing the game, I think is just as important for a writer mm-hmm. as running games. I, I honestly think that if you if you want to publish adventures, you should have a healthy share of both. You know, playing okay. and writing, if you can, because um, I think a lot of the design design decisions that I make um, are informed by how I think it's going to be for the players. You know, how is that, like, I spend a lot of time trying to imagine how players are going to react to a situation and whether that reaction will be fun for them. So, mm. yeah. That makes sense, because, you know, you would want to, it's, it's kind of like go into the gym like you go to the gym you work out to be healthy and to apply it to the life that you want to live and it's like you some you need to go the, you need to work out in order to get stronger and healthier and whatnot or you know whatever the workout may be um same thing you got to play you got to play to to work out that writing skill 
Now, what games do you play? Do you just play D&D or do you play like other tabletop games or even video games? Yeah, you know, I play a little bit of everything. I play, um, well, I, I love video games. I don't play a ton of them, but I mean, the, the entire Zelda franchise is like branded on my heart, you know, so I hear that. Um, love those. And I think, honestly, Breath of the Wild is like a masterclass in campaign design if you want to okay. make a sandbox campaign, you know. Um, and I love that game. And I also play, I mean, as far as tabletop games go, I mostly play tabletop RPGs, but I primarily play um, 5th edition and then um, Dungeon Crawl Classics, Okay. which is hysterical. It's like, bit? yeah, so that's a, that's a game that was designed by Goodman Games right around the time that 4th edition had, um, was first out. And it, it was like the first retro clone without actually being a clone of like old editions of, of D&D. Mm. So... The point of it is they, they actually rebuilt an entire D&D-like system from scratch, like really from scratch. And the creators of it read the entire um, set of material that the original designers of the game said were their inspirations, like the novels and the films and stuff. They actually yeah. went and like found and read all of that, which must have taken them a really long time, and built a new system around those inspirations so anyway that's that's what dungeon crawl classics is it's like it's kind of like crazy D. &D. it's like a it's like a slightly more like unexpected and explosive version of D. &D. so that like spell casting in it is crazy well can you give an example because i have not uh i have not ventured into that yeah, so like when when you're casting a spell in Dungeon Crawl Classics, you you actually make a you roll a check to see if you can cast it successfully. Okay. And depending on how well you do, every single spell has a a different set of effects depending on how well you roll. Um oh. and yeah, it's like every spell oh. has this and so um and also spell casting has a certain um, every single spellcaster, when they learn a spell, gets to roll some specific, unique effect that is just their own that applies to that spell. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And give it's, it a bit of individuality. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, literally no two wizards will be at all the same, which makes spellcasting and magic really exciting. Um, and it's also very deadly. The game is very deadly um, because I think it's trying to invoke that like first edition like e your yeah. life is fragile don't you know meat grinder be careful yeah yeah um, yeah totally understand and that's so like okay so from a publication standpoint how do you feel about stuff like that do you typically when you typically write do you typically have the intention of saying okay this world is going to be you know, perfect for a meat grinder, or do you kind of leave it ge more generalized that it could be applicable to any type of game that's run by any game master? Yeah, so that's that's a tough decision because um, you want, I think that at least for my work, um, I try to make it as broadly useful to as many dungeon masters as possible. So um, mm -mm. I've written a couple adventures that are purposefully a little more deadly because... I, I thought that they were going to be used primarily with releases for D&D. Like, for example, like Chult. When Chult, the Chult adventure came out to yes, move yes, Annihilation, yes. Yep. it was purposefully more deadly. And so I released an adventure that kind of matched with that theme. Um, okay. 
But as a rule, I try to keep the the level of deadliness kind of like consistent across all of my releases. Okay. Yeah. And speaking about releases, you got one that you just released um, on the DMs Guild, if I'm not mistaken, called The Corruption of Skyhorn Lighthouse, correct? That's it, yep. Could you give us a bit of a sneak peek and talk high level? Don't Nothing to reveal, because I want folks to go to the DMs Guild and show some love and, and purchase it. Um, but can you give us a high level of what that is? Yeah, thank you. That's So that's actually, um, it's actually a follow-up to a free adventure that I have on the DMs okay. Guild, too. Um, but it's sort of a continuation of a story about a lighthouse that has some curious, magical problems. Um, and in, in actually in both adventures, there are two Skyhorn lighthouse adventures, and in both of them there are um, people who are trying to abuse the the specialness of the lighthouse and so the the players will need to kind of put wrongs to right and try to figure out who's behind some evil schemes and exonerate the the people who are not responsible for the problems oh legit that sounds awesome Thank so you. so basically so you so it's this is like a continue so you said it's a continuation correct of another adventure yeah. okay so um how do you and again, just for for myself and mostly for myself, because I'm <laughs> new to this, but for the audience out there too, how do you keep track of that? Like, do you, when you write something, do you intentionally think like, oh, I'm going to make a second part or a third part or whatever to this? Or do you write it kind of like how George Lucas wrote, you know, Star Wars and, and directed, you know, um, episode four as, you know, for the folks out there. And then said, you know what, because that, that's a great standalone film. That is a fantastic mm-hmm. standalone film. But then, as things were continuing on, it's like, oh, there, there could be a, 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 a couple more parts to this. Do yeah. you do something similar to that? Or, or, do you, or is it pl- pre-planned and premeditated? Yeah, so I actually almost never pre-plan to write sequels to Adventures, oh, which is sweet. so funny. Yeah, I almost never do. And I, I I really think that a strong adventure has natural continuation options at the end of it. True. Um, like, I think that's really critical. And so um, the follow-up adventures I've written have sort of naturally evolved from what I was, you know, from what I thought could happen in the aftermath mm-hmm. of the prior one. Um, and I, I think I've only written two. I've written two pairs of adventures that are explicitly connected by story. Um, and each time it was, it was almost, I don't even think, you know, it's funny, it wasn't hard to write a follow-up adventure because I just thought, well, you know, if my group played through this, what would be the next step for them? So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Although you could, you could absolutely plan an adventure out maybe a little better that that was connected all throughout, but, um, Mm. I don't think you need to, I really don't. I think that you can make natural connections between stories, um, just by introducing problems that will have follow-up ramifications. Gotcha. So, and you mentioned about playing what, you know, what your players go through. Do you have your players play test through your own material? And do, like, do they know that they're going through it? Or do you kind of like have it behind the screen where you're saying, okay, I'm going to play test this part of the module and see how it flows? Yeah, I sneaky play test. I, I, I don't <laughs> know. I'm sure I'm not the only person who does this, but um. I, I usually will play test parts of adventures. Um, okay. 
And I don't tell my players that I'm playtesting possible material on them because um, because I kind of want to, like, observe their natural reactions to it. And I, sure, I feel like it can be... Then. Yeah, it can feel very loaded when someone sits you down and they're like, well, we're going to play test an adventure. So you need to pay extra attention and you need to behave extra this or that. I mean, yep. people can't help but sort of react in an unnatural way, I think, when they know that there's a purpose. Mm -hmm. So so that's just, I don't know, that's my sneaky way of testing material. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's actually quite brilliant because you don't want any other variables to influence the experiment, so to speak, that, you know, could could give you a false positive, right? Um, yeah. it, it could be something like if you were to say, hey, I'm going to play test this, folks. Everyone's going to be on edge, not in a bad way, but they're going to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to now put the lens as a tester and I'm going to look through all this and go through all this, as opposed to being natural and saying, oh, I really like this adventure. This is really cool. And then when the session's over, you can say, oh, cool, write this down. What did you like? You know, go through that whole kind of routine and mm -hmm. make your adjustments from there. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's fun that way because um, sometimes my players will, you know, they'll see something I publish and they'll be like, oh, my gosh, like Igor, the NPC we met, he's in here, you know. And so they, they spot it sometimes, which is really funny. So and and it's and I'm glad you mentioned that. How much involvement do your players have when you're um, writing and when you're publishing uh, material? So they unwittingly help me write things because I throw like scenarios at them or like I'll throw a combat that I want to test at them. Mm -hmm. um, and they, I mean, almost always come up with some continuation or some observation that I'm like, oh, I should really incorporate that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so they, they really help me write and test things much more than I think they even realize. Um, and, okay. you know, it's I don't play test every single encounter that I've ever written against them, but For important sure. ones or ones I'm unsure on, I will. Um, because I think that would be, it'd be hard to do. But um, It's a bit rough. Yeah. It's, it's kind yeah. of, it's time consuming, right? We were talking about this earlier where... Um, time is one of the biggest assets and valuable things that we all have as human beings. I don't care who you are um, or how, you know, it's time. Time is the biggest thing. So to you have to kind of weigh out what's going to be the best. You know, do I spend time on writing an adventure and then playtesting every single encounter? Or do I leave it up to the you know, the DMs out there to handle the smaller encounters and kind of adjust as necessary, but focus on making sure that the big encounter within the adventure is, you know, home run all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it, I think there's this, I agree with you so much on that the the core of it is trusting the DM that you're handing this to, because if you, if you try to pre-script everything and you, you don't, you don't you don't want the DM to be what my friend Steven calls a battle computer. Like Ooh, yeah. they have to they have to also be surprised and delighted by discovery and unexpected things and there has to be room in the adventure for them to to put their own spin on things, you know? So mm -hmm. um you have to really trust that the DM is gonna dungeon master it when you give it to them. You don't yeah. I don't always you know, I think that there's a tendency to pile on information when actually it's probably better to remove it, you know? 
Yeah, so the DM no, you're can right. do their thing. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And that's, you know, when you're writing then, so when you're writing an adventure, it's like, it almost seems from what you're saying is like simplicity in the regards of um, story is what's mm-hmm. at the heart of it, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of time again, going back to Star Wars, I don't, I'm not sure if you're a Star Wars fan or not, but yeah. if, if if well, you know, some you might have been a Star Trek fan versus a Star Wars fan, so I might. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I do love both equally because they're two different forms of storytelling. I, you know, Star Wars is. Let's be honest. It is a fantasy world set in space. It is like the yeah. it, it, it's Spelljammer, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's one of those things that I feel like at the heart of that story, it's very simple. It's about a boy, well, a young man who and, you know, and his sister raised from two different areas, two different parts of life. And it's their journey. It's the journey of the family. It's the journey of the hero. It's the hero's adventure. And for the folks out there who who may or may not know this, but it is as much Leia's adventure as it is Luke's adventure. Like, I don't care who you are. Like, it is about the Skywalkers. Like it is, yes, Anakin. It's a, it's Anakin's redemption and everything like that. But it is Luke and Leia's. I mean, they both redeem their father in different ways. Um, I mean, Leia being the polit, you know, the the political genius that she was, or the political leader rather, because she was straightforward. You know, the 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 general, the bad, you know, again, the badass person that she was. Yeah. And then Luke being the more contemplative, like hermit kind of priest, so to speak, mm-hmm. of the force, which that's what really what a Jedi was, is like this priest of the force. So it, it's a simple story at the heart of it. And as you can see, there's been a whole franchise around Star Wars where different stories have come up from this one thing. And mm-hmm. I feel, you know, from what you're saying, too, it's like, don't overcomplicate things. Keep it simple. Yeah, exactly. It's so funny that um, keeping things simple is means that you're, what you're writing is also more likely to make its way into the game also. Um, For sure. And it also, you know, it really does, you have to trust in the DM because if you give them enough, if you tell them the purpose of, like the purpose of this encounter is to rescue the guard from the orcs, you know, yeah. The, the DM can absolutely take it from there. They know what's at stake. They know how to yeah. run a combat. They know if 100%. the players fall off a wall, they're going to take falling damage. Like, So I think that the, the point of when you're trying them. to... What was that? You don't have to spoon feed them, right? Yeah, exactly. Exa- that's what it is. You you have to trust that they can do the... the, the, <laughs> the they can take what you've written and really use it as long as you give them only what they need to know. That's really true, and that's something that I feel sometimes, like, as a writer, or as a newbie writer, I should say, um, it's something that I've I've thought to myself, well, if the DM doesn't handle this, they're going to learn how to. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's all it is (laughs) at the end of the day. Um, So with all that being said... For the, I have one question, one last question that I'd, I like to try to answer or at least try to ask on the show 
or on the mm-hmm. on yeah on the podcast is for the folks out there who are wanting to become writers, right? They're mm-hmm. wanting to write their own adventure. Maybe they want to write their own novel, but they want to start out and write their own adventure. What are mm-hmm. some of the top you know two three things that you would tell uh, an up and coming writer? Yeah, so. I think the first the first thing I would say is that make sure that the things that you include in what you're writing all have a purpose. Um, mm. So there either has to be dramatic tension or information being given, um, but try to try to make sure that everything that you're including has some purpose and also that it's centered around entertaining the people participating in it. You know, um, I think that. Sometimes we forget, even I do this as a writer, that I'm writing something to entertain other people and they need to be, I need to maximize the elements of what I'm writing to make it memorable and interesting and entertaining. And that doesn't mean writing super zany, like I don't have to write totally crazy, weird, off the wall stuff, but I have to make sure that if I put in an NPC, that NPC is worth remembering. And you know, if I put in a combat, that combat is worth fighting. So, and that it's mm-hmm. going to include something beyond just the sword swinging, that it's going to be something interesting for the players and something they haven't seen before or something they're excited to do. That's kind that's of it. Awesome. Make, yeah, that's, I guess that's, those are my, I don't know if that's exactly two or, or however many pieces of advice that is, but give it's, purpose and meaning to what you're doing. It's what's needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it's what, it's, it's what's needed. Purpose and mean, you know, when we think about advice, kind of like you gave exactly what we all needed to hear because having that purpose and that meaning behind the adventure is like, that's the, that's almost like that treasure chest at the end of the dungeon that you, you can, when you go in there, like, that's why, I mean, going back to eight, what you were saying about 80, like dungeon crawls were a thing, right? Dungeon mm-hmm. crawls. The purpose and the meaning behind the dungeon crawl was to get that, you know, chest worth of gold and magic items and but really to have fun with your adventurers and your fellow players and all that stuff. Like having that purpose and meaning can really hair like zone in on what you want to do and write. So Yeah. And that helps I really, you write obstacles because if you know the purpose is to get the treasure chest, then the the drama is putting things in the way of that. That's right. Exactly it. And I and this and again, this has been so so great to to talk with you and, and especially in front of the audience where, you know, we get to kind of peer into your mind as a writer and you know at a high level too because obviously like, you know, we <laughs> we have the time and the you know we always have the time to do these things but like we could in the sense of doing our own research but when we sit down with someone like you who can explain it in this way. It's, it's, it's always a great opportunity. So Kelsey, I really want to thank you and appreciate you for coming onto the podcast. Where can folks find you uh, on social media or on the DMs Guild? Where can folks find you to support you, to follow you, and to see more of what you're doing? Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Brian. It's been awesome to come on here and chat like this, like talking writing and all that. Um, and, you know, if I mean, if folks want to follow what I'm doing, um, I have a website, thearcanelibrary.com, where I, I publish the majority of my stuff. Um, I'm on Twitter, at Arcane Library, and Facebook and Instagram as well. I believe they're also at Arcane Library, but 
it might be the arcane library in some cases <laughs> um but definitely my website that's a good place to keep up with what i'm doing okay so the arcane library.com mm-hmm. perfect yeah. so folks go to the arcane library.com support kelsey check all check out her publications that she i mean again really great stuff really good things for any level of dungeon master whether you're a beginner you're intermediate or you're old school gamer check it out support from the local community again kelsey thank you so much for jumping on the show and, and being with us um folks if you enjoyed this episode subscribe to the podcast follow us on social media but as always friends keep gaming <laughs>